Revelations chapter 3 tonight. We'll pick up and try to finish this off here tonight. Uh, of course, we've been talking about the seven churches in Revelations and the seven messages from Christ to these churches. And of course, these were two real uh, churches and real cities, but they're also very applicable uh, to all of us as they all end with, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit uh, saith to the churches. And we started out in uh, chapter 2 of Revelations, of course, with the church to Ephesus. And, uh, of course, we see Christ here identifying himself as the prioritized one. He is the one in the center of the candlestick, the center of the churches. And uh, he is the one that needs to be priority. And, of course, the church of Ephesus uh, had lost their priority. They left their first love. And while they were doing many good things and they were faithful, they were diligent, uh, Christ said, if you don't get back to these first things, to me, uh, making me the priority, I'm going I'm to take the candle away. I'm shutting the church down. And uh, it's just a very important lesson there to the church of Ephesus. And then we uh, hopped over to the church in Smyrna in uh, verse uh, number 8 there of Revelations 2. And uh, Christ identifies himself here as the preserving one. Uh, and he is, uh, says, These things say it's the first and the last uh, which was dead and is alive, or the persevering one, excuse me. And uh, Christ perseveres. He's been through it all. And he knows how to uh, go through death and how to conquer it. And, of course, this church in Smyrna uh, was going through um, a lot of persecution, a lot of trouble, a lot of tribulation. And uh, not only that, uh, he warned them in this message that more was coming. It was going to get worse. Uh, but he also taught them that, uh, of course, uh, tribulation and uh, troubles, are they're temporal, they're temporary, they don't last forever, they're personal. We all go through different things. God's not going to give us something we can't handle. And, uh, of course, uh, they are valuable, and uh, there's a crown of life. There is value uh, to taking a stand for being persecuted for Christ's sake. And then we talked about the Church of Pergamos, and, of course, Christ identifying himself in this one as the powerful one, he, he with the uh, sharp sword, with the two edges, and uh, this was a church with some uh, uh, serious doctrinal problems. And they had uh, the doctrines of the Balet, uh, of Balaam and of the Nicolaitans in the church, doctrines of uh, compromising with the world and corruption and conceit and uh, very prideful doctrines that slipped in this church. And, of course, uh, Christ warned them if they are, don't get these doctrines right, they'll be fighting against him with the sword. And not a place we want to be. And then uh, we did the church of Thyatira. And, uh, uh, of course, Christ identified himself as the pure one, as fine brass. Of course, God is pure. There's nothing wrong in him. And this was a church that had a purity problem. They had many good things going, uh, but they allowed immorality into the church and uh, teachings of it and acceptance of it. And uh, they suffered something they shouldn't have allowed uh, in immorality and how dangerous and harmful and destructive uh, immorality can be in a church and a life if left unchecked. And today, though, uh, we are going to pick up with the church—or no, we did the Church of Sardis— and uh, God was, is the uh, possessing one. Of course, he owns the church. And the church of Sardis, they had uh, used the church to make a name for themselves. And they had a name that they were alive. Everybody knew them, uh, but they were dead uh, in God's eyes. And uh, it's an important warning to this church. And tonight, though, we're going to pick up in verse number 7 of Revelations chapter 3, uh, the message to the church of Philadelphia. Let's pray quick, and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Uh, thank you so much for your goodness to us and for your word and the power and truth it contains. I pray you help me to say the right things, Lord. If there's something you'd like me not to say, you help me to forget it. And uh, the things that are important, help me to remember those and get those out clear tonight. I'm sure to love you. And thank you for all the folks being here tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And so we have here the Church of Philadelphia. And this is not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is the original Philadelphia. And uh, Philadelphia in uh, Asia, in the province of Asia, of course, modern-day Turkey is where all these churches are. And this Philadelphia was the first Philadelphia. It was uh, founded in um, um, a few hundred years before Christ. And it was founded by uh, the king of uh, Pergamus, Attilus. 
and he called it a Philadelphus after his brother because he loved and cared for his brother. And hence we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, and that's where it comes from. Uh, it was uh, because of this king loved his brother so much, he named the city after him, and he's known for his care and love for his brother. And it became known as the city of brotherly love. It has nothing to do with modern-day Philly. Uh, if you know Philly sports fans, there's no brotherly love there. And uh, so anyway, kind of kind of rowdy. Uh, but anyway, this uh, city, uh, of course, it was it was uh, built uh, by uh, this Greek uh, king of uh, Pergamos, Attilus II. And he built the city of uh, Philadelphia uh, kind of as an outpost uh, in some uh, barbar more barbarian areas as kind of a missionary outpost for Greek culture. And it was very successful. And uh, by 19 AD, uh, the Lydian tongue had gone away and everyone in the area now spoke Greek. And it was a very uh, prosperous city. Overall, we really do not know much about this city. The only thing it's really famous for is for its grapes. And it had great grapes and wines that were produced. Apparently the soil was great for growing vineyards. And it was a, a grape and a wine juice producing city. And of course, most importantly, there was a church in Philadelphia. And no doubt Apostle Paul or somebody from Ephesus uh, reached that city in Acts chapter 19. But we have here in verse 7, we'll start reading the letter God has for this church. And this is the one where God has nothing bad to say about this church. And so this one's got everything, uh, got stuff going good here. It says in uh, verse 7 of Revelations 3, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and he that shutteth, and no man openeth. We see God here as the describing himself as the one who brings the opportunity, the providing one who provides opportunity. And uh, what a, a great statement. He, when he, he opens something, when he opens the door, he opens an opportunity for us, no one can shut it. When he closes the door, when he shuts something down, nobody can open it because he is the one with control. He is the one with the key. I love what it says in John 10. Jesus is speaking and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 9, he says, I am the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And Jesus is the door. He is the one who provides opportunities, who opens the door, who closes the door. In Colossians, the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul's writing, of course, he's not in a uh, good situation, and he wants uh, opportunity to reach more people. And he says here, with all, praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, uh, for which I am also in bounds. And of course, Apostle Paul is in prison at this point when he's writing this. He says, pray that God will open the door. He's not praying for an army to come and rescue him. He's not praying for someone to come with a bunch of uh, money to bail him out. No, he's praying that God would open the door, because ultimately, if we're going to do anything for God, if we're going to make an impact for anyone, it's through God opening the door for us. It's through God giving us and bringing us the opportunity. And uh, we can never, we are never going to find a way to make a spiritual difference on our own. We can't open that door. And also, no one else can prevent you from making a spiritual difference. Uh, they can't close that door. And God, Christ, ultimately, he controls the opportunities that come into our life. And he controls the things that come into our life and the chances we have to serve him and impact others and reach others. It's all because of him. It's he who provides those chances. In verse 8, uh, we see the opportunity that he gives to this church. He says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. And what an amazing statement. Imagine this church, 
Uh, it just, God has opened the door for him, and there's nothing that's going to happen. There's no king that's going to come and shut it. There's no politicians that's going to come and shut it. There's no uh, different group. And we see here they're dealing with the Judaizers, the synagogue of Satan, it later tells us. Uh, but these guys are never going to affect this door. God has given this church a door of opportunity uh, to serve him, to reach others, to affect their region, to impact others for Christ. And what an amazing, exciting thing. And the uh, question is, why, why did God choose that for this church, though? And we see here in the next, uh, next uh, phrase, uh, three reasons that Christ uh, opened, gave this church an open door. And it wasn't because this church had uh, great resources. It wasn't because this church had a great ability, great talent. It was something else. It says here in verse 8, And I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength. And we see one thing about this church. This church had a little strength. This church knew how to put on humility. And I think of uh, in the Old Testament when Samuel, or King Saul was rejected as king, and uh, Samuel was talking to him. He says, you know, God says, you know, when, when you were little in your own eyes, you know, then you were a great king, and things went well. And we see a church here with a little strength. And that word strength, uh, it means a power, influence, wealth, ability, resources, excellence. And this church had just a little, a lot. It didn't have a bunch of resources, it didn't have a bunch of power, it didn't have a bunch of a talent or ability, but it just had a little. It was a church that knew how to put on humility. And God wasn't looking at the, for the church of Ephesus that had all kinds of great things going on to open a door for. He was looking for the church of Philadelphia that had a little. God wasn't looking for the church of Sardis that had a great name and influence uh, over the commun community. It was a great, well-known church. He didn't open a door for them. He was looking for the church of Philadelphia that just had a little. And God wasn't looking for the church in Laodicea, who we'll talk about in a little bit, with great wealth and riches to open a door for. He was looking at, a poor, at the poor church in Philadelphia. And uh, the people of Philadelphia knew what, what it meant to have a door closed in life. Of course, we talked about a little bit ago, they were known for their grape growing and their vineyards. And just a few years before uh, this uh, letter was, message was written to them, uh, the, uh, this emperor in Rome uh, decided to shut down all grape growing and replace everything with wheat growing uh, for political reasons. They need more wheat and completely destroyed uh, the economy in Philadelphia right before this. So they knew how to close the door, but when God opens the door, no man can close it. And this church, though they had little, they didn't have a lot of wealth, they didn't have a lot going on, uh, they didn't have a lot of ability, a talent, they had a little strength. And they knew how to uh, rely on God. And 1 Corinthians 1 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And uh, in uh, 1 Peter 5, it says, Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. And God is not looking for strength. He's not looking for uh, greatness and wealth and power. He's looking for something little. He's looking for little strength. Uh, what do you tell the disciples when he, uh, they asked, increase our faith? He said, you just need like a little, just amount of a grain of mustard seed. You don't need a lot. And God is not looking for us to show greatness, to show ability, to show uh, power and excellence in order for him to open a door. He's looking for somebody who will come with humility. And this was a church that knew how to be humble. Uh, they had been humble. They'd been through a lot. But it was a church that had this priority of putting on humility. Uh, it says here in First. Uh, uh, or James uh, 4, 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore God saith, uh, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. 
And God is not looking for someone of great strength, talent, and ability to open a door for. He is looking for someone clothed in humility who will, with the little they have, rely on God uh, to use them. I think of the little boy with his sack lunch. And uh, I'm sure God, Christ, could have used some great rich guy to come in with a big truckload of uh, food to feed the 5,000, but he didn't. What did he use? He used a kid with just a little sack lunch. That's all he used. He, God isn't looking for great things. He's looking for little, someone with a little, someone who will, with, by faith, he humbly bring the little they have to God and let him use them. And this church uh, knew how to use their little for God. They knew how to put on humility. And secondly, it says here, and has kept my word. And this church prioritized scripture. And the Bible doctrine in the scripture was the priority in this church. They kept it. Uh, while, while they may have lost a lot of other things, a lot of wealth, a lot of uh, opportunities here on this earth, uh, financially we might thought through this edict from the emperor, they knew how to prioritize scripture. And scripture was so important. And that's why uh, being a Baptist is such a great thing. Because one of the th- main things of the Baptist distinctives, the first one is biblical authority. And the Bible always needs to be the priority in our life. And it was in this church. They kept his word. Second Peter 1.21 says, For the prophecy came not in, in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, repro- for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And God's word is the priority. For any church, any Christian, it needs to be the priority. And if we want to see God uh, open a door for us, open a door in our lives to make an impact, to make a difference for him, one thing we need to always make sure is the scripture is the priority. We keep his word. Uh, Nothing else is influencing away for us from scripture because scripture is the most important thing. And all through history, God's word, of course, has been attacked. The devil started attacking it in uh, Genesis 3. Yea, hath God said. Of course, he's attacking God's word, but uh, God's word is something we must always stand strong on. It is uh, no other book or a publication has the authority of God's word. Tradition uh, does not have the authority of God's word. Public opinion is not the authority over God's word. The Bible is the, is the priority. And this was a church that was, was faithful in putting on humility and prioritizing God's word. And lastly, it says, uh, and has not denied my name. And uh, they, this church did never did, they preserve they persevered despite pressure no matter what came they would not deny Christ deny his name and uh, the devil is constantly trying to get us to not deny Christ in uh, Romans 12 uh, 2 God says and be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and this world is always trying to conform us They're always trying to get us to not be like Christ, to deny him, and be like them. And the world will pressure us to to deny Christ in our language. And, of course, uh, we're very blessed here in America. I don't don't think I've ever been pressured to deny Christ verbally. I don't think that's ever happened in my life. Probably most of us, if not any of us here, have ever experienced that. We're very blessed. Of course, in Bible days and other countries, even nowadays, there is much pressure for people to deny Christ verbally. I think of Peter, of course, denying Christ three times. There's a pressure uh, to deny Christ verbally. And, of course, this was a church that did not do that. They did not give in to that pressure. And, thankfully, we do not have that pressure. I've never experienced the need to deny I believe in Jesus. I've never never ever been pressured. I I can't say that. I'm a great person. I've never done that. I've never even been pressured to do that. I don't know if any of us have, Uh, but this church did not do that. But the world has another pressure uh, for us to deny deny Christ, not just in our language, but to to, to deny him uh, in our lifestyle. 
And uh, it says in Titus 1.6, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. And if the devil can't get us to deny Christ with our works, or with our words, he will certainly come after us through our works. And we all feel that pressure. We live in a world that is constantly pressuring us to conform, to look like everyone else, to live like everyone else, to enjoy, to go to the same places as everybody else, to do the same things everyone else is doing, and to conform, to deny Christ uh, through our works, to deny God with our works. And we must always be careful to fight against this pressure, against denying Christ with our language, denying him with our lifestyle, and to deny him in our living rooms. The, God will, uh, the devil will come in to try to pressure us to deny God in our homes. What's 1 Timothy 5.8 say? It says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those in his own house, he hath what? Denied the faith and is worse uh, than an infidel. And uh, there is a, also there is a priority in our homes to uh, not deny Christ. That's why what God talks about in 1 Timothy 5, of course, taking care of our elderly parents and Ephesians 6, uh, raising children and teaching them to write, not provoking them to anger, but raising them in the nurture of admonition of the Lord. And if the devil can't get us to deny Christ in it with our words, and he can't do it, get us to do it in our works, he'll get us to do it in our homes. He'll let us allow things to slip in our homes that shouldn't be there. Allow us to uh, let our kids do things and go places and be with people that shouldn't and end up through the, our works and through our home denying Christ. And this was a church, though, that stood strong. They, they made uh, putting on humility important. They prioritized scripture. And uh, they uh, per persevered despite the pressure. They did not deny Christ. And as a result of this, God opened a door for them that nobody could shut. It wasn't because of uh, their, their ability, their talent, their wealth. No, it was because of these things, the stand they had for Christ and their faithfulness to him, that God says, I'm going to open a door for you guys, and nobody's going to be able to shut it. And then look down at verse 9. I love this uh, verse. It's a really, really, really fun verse. It says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, uh, which say they are Jews. Of course, we've talked about those previous uh, churches. Of course, Judaizers coming in, trying to get people to follow the law to be saved, and are not, uh, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. That's a pretty cool promise. <laughs> yeah, people like after they're gonna make a worship at my feet. Uh, kind of makes me think of uh, Isaiah 60 verse 14. Uh, God's talking to the children of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. He says, "The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, uh, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel." And ultimately, no matter who we face, no matter what persecution or troubles or uh, we may face or how the devil may come after us, ultimately, uh, in, in this life or in the next, there will be justice, there will be fairness, and God will come through, and God will always take care and always provide. In verse 10, he says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee uh, from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell on earth. That dwell upon the earth, and Christ never misses the faithfulness of His followers. Of course, a lot of this is alluding to a time of tribulation. Of course, we are going to miss that. We're going to be spared from that wrath. Uh, but when we are with Christ, we miss out on so much trouble. When we are going through the doors God opens for us, we're staying faithful to His word. We're staying humble. Uh, we're staying. Uh, uh, we don't deny Him. We're, we're persevering, no matter the pressure to deny Christ in our words or in our works. We're staying faithful, and when we do that, we avoid so much trouble, so much temptation, so much heartache that's coming upon those of the world that are rejecting God. And God has so much blessing. Look down at verse number 11. He says, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast which thou hast.
that no man take thy crown. And I love that any trouble or trial we may face for the name of Christ is only temporary, and it's always worth it. And that crown of righteousness for being faithful, for serving him, the things that God has planned for his children that he doesn't even tell us in his word are going to be so wonderful and so worth it that anything we face, just hold fast, it will be worth it all. In verse 12, He that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of God and the name of the city of God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down from heaven from, God, from my God, and I will write upon him uh, my new name. And the benefits of being faithful to Christ. Look what it says. I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. And what an amazing thing to be a pillar. I think of a pillar, something that is stable. And there is a stability with walking with Christ. And there is a stability that comes to life, not only in this life, but eternity, with the benefits of it by being faithful to Christ. And of course, verse 13, he ends, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. And uh, just in review of this letter message, of course, all our opportunities come from God. He is the providing one. We are never going to uh, account in our ability, our way to making an impact and opening a door for Christ. Uh, that doesn't happen. Only God opens doors. Only God gives opportunities. And he's looking for people who are a little strength. Not people who are all about themselves, who are strong and tough and can figure it out themselves. No, he's, he's just looking for somebody with a little strength. He doesn't need anything flashy, doesn't need anything big. He's looking for people who have kept his word, who make Scripture the priority in their life and in all areas of their life, and uh, those who have not denied his name, who persevered. No matter the pressure, uh, they don't deny him in their words, in their life, in their home. Uh, they make Christ the priority. And uh, stepping through the doors that God opens is always worth it. And what an amazing a truth and lesson he gave here to this church of Philadelphia, a faithful church uh, who God had given a great opportunity, not because they were great or had done anything great. Uh, they didn't, really didn't have much. It was a poor city. It didn't have a lot going on, but God didn't care about any of that. He was looking for people who had a heart after him. And I think of uh, uh, Samuel, of course, anointing David. He looks at the oldest son, you know, surely this is the one God picks. He's like, nah, God, you don't want that. I want the little kid. I want the guy with a little strength. And that's what God is looking for to open doors of opportunity to. And then verse 14 here, We'll hop right into the church of Laodicea and get it wrapped up here tonight. And uh, verse uh, 14 of chapter 3, it says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans uh, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And we have here this church in city of Laodicea. And Laodicea is a very interesting city. There's lots of cool stuff you can look up about Laodicea. Lots of cool pictures, too. Uh, but it was founded in 250 B.C. by Antiochus II, uh, one of the descendants of Alexander the Great's uh, generals. And he named it after his wife, Laodicea. So that's really sweet. So someday, if you're a conquering general, you can build a city, name it after your wife. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, it was uh, well-situated on three important trade routes. Uh, it was a commercial city, and it had a very active wool industry. It uh, produced a valuable eye salve, and it's called Phrygian powder. I don't know what that is. Some, some ladies might know what that is. I don't know. But it was a very expensive eye salve back in the day. There was a Roman circuit court located in the city, and it had a large Jewish population. And the city was uh, very well known uh, for its uh, wool. It had farmers that raised these black sheep. Had was exceptionally soft and warm and beautiful wool, I guess, made beautiful clothes. And, of course, they were known for this eye salve, and they were known as a great center of banking. 
And if you're traveling on a journey, you could often exchange different notes and stuff uh, for uh, coins or uh, for hard currency uh, at this city because it was a very wealthy city. It was a large banking community, and uh, and uh, Laodicea was a very diplomatic city. It was not a, a big uh, warrior city. They produced diplomats, and it was all about money and peace and uh, getting rich. And this city was very rich. There was no great conflicts, great wars in Laodicea uh, because uh, they they got along really well with everybody. And uh, the reason they did is because they had a very serious problem. One major flaw in this city, they had no water supply. And uh, there's bad things going to a great city. And uh, the city, uh, it was, uh, thankfully, it was just a few, about five or six miles from uh, Hierapolis and uh, uh, Colossae. And uh, so they had to pipe in their water. They had these cool canals and these big, like, uh, aqueducts that are above ground. You can look at pictures. There's some still standing. Pretty amazing uh, stuff they had to supply water to the city of Laodicea. And uh, since they didn't have a water supply of their own. And, of course, if an army ever attacked, uh, they just cut off these conduits and... Uh, the city's toast in a few days. Uh, that's why they were really good at diplomats, and they were, got along with everybody, because they knew they were in a very vulnerable spot. But the city uh, was able to pipe in water, of course, from Heropolis, and Heropolis uh, was famous for its hot healing springs. It had these natural hot springs, you know, big fancy Roman baths, and good healing, and refreshing places, and they piped this water into Laodicea, and after a few miles, though, when it would arrive at Laodicea, this hot, balmy spring water was lukewarm. Shocker. And uh, the other city they got water from was Colossae. And uh, Colossae uh, had a great cold spring. And uh, went up to spring up in Decorah. Was it Decorah? There we go. They had that cool spring. The water's like ice cold coming out of the ground. It's the middle of summer. And that was the type of springs they had in Colossae, this ice cold, delicious, clear water that was coming out. And so, of course, they'd pipe that into Laodicea. But when it got to Laodicea, it was no longer nice, cold, fresh water. It was just lukewarm, average water. And obviously, you know where that's going. Uh, but this city uh, was at very risk uh, because of its water. It did not have its own water supply and had to pipe in from these other great cities. Uh, but its water was very average, of course, because by the time it got there, it had it either cooled off or warmed up, and it was just lukewarm. And in verse 14, we see Christ writing a letter to this church in this city of Laodicea, a very wealthy city. And it says, Unto the church of the Laodiceans write these things, uh, saith the Amen, uh, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. We see Christ here as the propagating one. He is the first and the last. He is the beginner. He starts life. He gets it going. He provides life to the church. He strengthens the church. He empowers the church. And of course, in 1 John, it says, all things were made by, or John 1, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In Colossians 1, it says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him and by him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And of course, Christ is the propagating one. He is the one that brings life. He is the one that sustains life. He is the one that empowers the church, started the church, that uses the church. And in Laodicea, we have a church here uh, that has ignored Christ, the one that gives it life. And it says here in verse 5, or verse 15 of Revelations chapter 3, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. And this here, we have a church that is indistinct. There is nothing impactful, nothing uh, special about this church. It was neither cold nor hot. It was lukewarm. And I enjoy coffee. Who enjoys drinking coffee? 
Coffee is a wonderful thing. I should have grabbed one this afternoon, but I didn't. And uh, coffee is great. I like my coffee two ways. I like it either hot, especially in this cold weather. Good hot cup of coffee any time of day, decaf in the evening. Uh, but it is great. I enjoy hot coffee. And I enjoy iced coffee. And a warm afternoon or a summer day, I enjoy getting a nice iced coffee in the afternoon. It perks me up, keeps me going. It's a delicious thing. But one kind of coffee I do not like is lukewarm coffee. Nothing is worse. You know, you have your thermos. It's been sitting there for a few hours. You forgot about it because you got busy doing something at work. And there it is. It's about noon. You pick it up, take a drink, and ah, it's lukewarm. You got that lukewarm creamer in there, and it's just disgusting. It's gross. You just want to spit it out because it's nasty. And that's the situation we have here at this church of Laodicea. Much like their water supply that was coming in hot or cold, once it got there, though, it was lukewarm. There was nothing refreshing about it. There was nothing healing about it like the hot springs of Heropolis. There was nothing soothing or refreshing or revigorating like the cold springs of, of a Colossae. It was lukewarm. And this church was just like that. This church wasn't refreshing people. This church wasn't helping those who were sick and healing them like those hot springs in Herophilus would. No, it was lukewarm. There was just no energy, no power of God, no spirit moving in this church. It was not a place of spiritual encouragement and refreshments for those who were spiritually discouraged and worn. It was a fruitless church. And church is supposed to be a spiritual hospital, but the church of Laodicea was not. It was lukewarm. Think of Luke chapter 13, Jesus uh, speaks a parable and he says, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and he sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said unto the dresser of this vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit of this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth, the, cumbereth it the ground? And here we have the state of this church in Laodicea. They're they're just, there's nothing good about it. They're not doing anything. They're not refreshing people like the cold water. Uh, they're not helping healing people like these hot springs and uh, the other city. It's just all lukewarm. It's just, there's blah. It's a really sad, pathetic church and a very sad state. And, um, and uh, Christ, of course, calls out this church. In verse 17, he says, because, or verse 16, he says, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, uh, you're not doing anything of value. You're not doing anything impactful. You're just lukewarm. He says, uh, you know, because of this, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Just like that lukewarm coffee that's been sitting there an entire day. And you take a sip right before lunch and find out, Ugh, it's nasty. That's what this church was. There was nothing good about it. There was nothing beneficial about it. There was nothing, uh, uh, no spirit, no power about this church. It was a dead, just gross, no good church. And uh, why, though? Why was this church dead? Why was it of no value? Why was it of no use? And we see verse 17, uh, God shows us the situation of this church, shows us why it was lukewarm, why there was nothing beneficial, there was nothing impactful happening in this church. And in verse 17, he says, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. This church, when they looked at themselves, they said, man, I'm rich. The city of Laodicea, a very rich city, banking center, uh, and a very, very a wealthy, very successful city. And this church, obviously, was very rich themselves and had many members that were of great wealth. And it says here, uh, I am increased with goods. They had lots of things, lots of property, lots of exciting uh, stuff, all the gadgets and gizmos you could want. This church had it. And it says here, and have need of nothing. And uh, sadly, this church had gotten to the point where they were not no longer even in need of Christ. 
they had it all covered themselves. And the city of Laodicea was a city uh, that had need of nothing. In 60 AD, 30 years before this message was written, a great earthquake struck, earthquake struck the city of Laodicea and pretty much wiped out the whole city. And uh, the Roman government, of course, this is an important city, center of banking. Uh, they send uh, their envoys and resources in to rebuild the city because this is an important city. And when these people come with all these resources to help the Laodiceans, the Laodiceans said, now we're good. We can take care of it ourselves. And they did. They rebuilt the city. They didn't borrow a dime from the Romans. didn't get any help. And a Roman historian said, Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources and with no help from us. And sadly, that's where this church had gotten. They didn't need help from Christ anymore. They could do it themselves. They were rich. They were increased to good. They didn't need nothing. They didn't need God's help. And now, as a result, they're useless. What's Jesus say in Matthew 9, uh, 9, 12? He says, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And this was a church that was whole. They, at least they thought they were. Man, they were rich. They didn't need God. They were able to do it themselves. And, of course, what is God's view? He says, uh, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, and blind, and naked. He says, you people don't have nothing. You guys are missing it. You're not even seeing it. Uh, this wealthy city of Laodicea, these wealthy Laodiceans were poor. These uh, makers of eye salve were blind. The producers of the finest wool uh, were unclothed. They didn't have any clothes, God says. You have nothing. You're missing it all. And uh, the devil is very sneaky. He can get us uh, to a point where we are so self-sustaining. And, of course, the American way, you know, we're independent. We take care of ourselves. You know, we don't uh, want to need the government anybody to help us. Of course, uh, we don't want uh, government helping us with uh, our lives. And, uh, the, but uh, we can get to the point where we're so self-sustaining. We can take care of ourselves that we no longer need God's help. We no longer need God to come in an emergency because, you know, we can take care of that ourselves. We've got enough money laying aside. We don't need God to jump in. We can get to the point where uh, we don't need, we don't come to God and pray like we need to because we don't really have it. Everything's going great. We have it all taken care of. And that's where this church of Laodicea was. They had it all. They were all set. They had need of nothing. But sadly, what they didn't realize is they had need of everything. Because where does everything come from? It all comes from Christ. He's the propagating one. He brings life. He brings the spirit. He brings the power. He brings the energy. He opens the doors. And this church thought, you know, they can just do it all on their own. They didn't need Christ anymore. And sadly, we see Christ uh, look at this church just spewing it out. And he says in uh, verse number 18, he says, I counsel thee. So I listen, I got, I got, I got some good advice here. Stop this uh, crazy stuff. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And what's the Bible say in Proverbs 23? It says, buy the truth and sell it not. He says, uh, uh, and also wisdom and instruction and understanding. And uh, in um, a parable in uh, Matthew uh, 13, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto, uh, unto treasure hidden in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy therefore goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a merchant man, seeking a goodly pearl, uh, who, when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he hath and bought it. 
And Jesus was saying in this church, I counsel thee, come and buy of me. Come to me. All this stuff you have that you think is the answer, that you can take care of yourself, you're prepared, you got everything to take care of, you don't need help anymore. If it means you getting rid of that, selling that, whatever it takes, giving that to the poor to help others, God says, get to the point where you need me. Start pursuing me. Stop pursuing things and stuff and wealth and possessions and pursue me. Come buy of me. Uh, come to me for your clothes. Come to me for your wealth. Come to me for your food. Come to me for your sight. And this church instead was just getting it all themselves. They didn't need God's help. They had it all. They had everything they needed. And this church had a heart problem and uh, had a blindness of realizing who they really were and how much they really needed Christ and how insufficient they were on their own. And I love what Moses said in Exodus 33. Of course, Moses, the great leader, leading the Israelites across the Red Sea. And now it's time to start heading towards the promised land. And what's he say to God? If thy presence go not with me, carry, not up, carry us not up hence. And uh, Moses didn't want to go if God wasn't go, going with him. But this church was not at that point. They said, you know, we can take care of ourselves. We don't need God to go with us. And how sad they were they, that they were missing out on all the power, all the opportunity, and all the impact that God had to desire for them to have. In Revelations 3.19, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And I love that. No matter how bad of a situation this church uh, in Laodicea was in, God says, I'm only telling you this because I love you. And I want you to turn back. I want you to come back to me. And just like a loving father chasteneth his son who he cares for, who he loves. Uh, God was chastening this church and saying, come back to me. Stop doing it yourself. Uh, you are not rich. You are not in need of nothing. You are in need of everything. You're poor. You're blind. You're without clothes. And you need me. And this church needed to turn back and need to start, instead of pursuing all this stuff, pursue Christ instead and realize how important he was and how truly without him they could do nothing and in uh, verse 20 it says behold i stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice and open the door i will come into him and will sup with him and he with me and what a sad state to be in uh, as is this church not only are they uh, doing it themselves christ isn't even in it he's outside knocking trying to get in and how easy we can get that in our own lives. We get about just taking care of our own things, doing things ourselves, uh, taking care of the job ourselves, taking care of the family ourselves, taking care of the ministry work ourselves, taking care of the responsibility ourselves without relying on God and pursuing him and begging him for his help and begging him for his strength and begging him for his power. And we get doing life so much on ourselves pretty soon, we don't even realize that we're so blind like this church that God is outside of our lives. He's standing there, I want to come in, I want to help, I want to sup with you, I want to uh, do this with you, I want to empower you, I want to strengthen than you, but we spend so much time just spinning our wheels and grinding and wondering, why is it not working? Because we've left Christ outside. And that's what this church has done. They left Christ outside. They didn't need him anymore. At least they thought they didn't. Uh, but sadly, they did. And they were missing out on so much that Christ had for him. Revelation, uh, verse number 21, to him that overcometh uh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. And uh, when we put God first, when we uh, pursue him above all these other things, when we realize our need for him, there's always a seat open next to him. He's always willing to come in. There's a seat next to him on the throne. There's plenty of room. There's room at the cross. There's room with him each and every day in our hearts. And God says, let me come in, and we can work together. We can eat together. We can fellowship together. We can move together. We can, I can empower you, and I can use you to do so much more than you could ever do on our own. And uh, this church of Laodicea, sadly, uh, was just lukewarm. They weren't doing anything. There was nothing special happening. There was no impact. They weren't refreshing anyone. They weren't healing anyone or helping anyone. They were just lukewarm, just like their water. Why? 
because they thought they could do it themselves. They thought they didn't need God anymore, when really they needed God for everything because he is the one uh, that propagates life. He is the one that sustains us. He is the one that empowers us. He's the one, it's his work and it's his mission, and he's the one that leads us to doing it. And the last verse, uh, chapter, uh, verse 32 of chapter 3, uh, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit uh, saith unto the churches. And Jesus Christ had these letters to these seven churches and reminding him. And most of them aren't what you think. It wasn't because, uh, you know, some out, obvious outward things. And most of them were for a uh, heart problem. Something inside wasn't right. And we had this uh, church of Ephesus, of course. They had their priority wrong. They, they, they left their first love. And they were just going through it on their own. And they, they uh, gotten away from Christ. The church of Smyrna, uh, going through much persecution. And, uh, but Christ could be with them no matter the situation. The church of Pergamos, of course, had the bad doctrine of compromise, corruption, and conceit. Uh, and if they didn't get away from that, of course, God was going to come against them. Sardis, uh, a church that built a name for themselves instead of using what they had for Christ. And the church, of course, the church tonight, the church of Philadelphia, uh, this church who had a great impact, a great door opened, not because of them, uh, but because Christ opened the door for them, uh, because they were a church that keep, uh, put on humility, prioritized scripture, and persevered despite the pressure. And uh, lastly, this church of Laodicea, uh, just a lukewarm church. Blah, nothing good going on. And just uh, uh, no impact being made. Why? Because they thought they could do it themselves. And just a great warning for all of us, great reminder for all of us in all of these letters, in all areas of our lives. Make sure we keep Christ the priority. Make sure we're not trying to go and do his thing uh, without him. We're just doing it on his own. We're so good at this. We don't need Christ's help. Uh, but we all need Christ because everything we have comes from him. He is the priority of the churches. He stands in the center. Uh, he's the one that gives the power. He's the one that gives the life. He's the one that uh, opens the door. And we need to stay faithful to him, make sure he's the priority. And that is the end. So let's pray, and we'll be done. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for today. Thank you for these uh, letters to these churches. And uh, just uh, great uh, for any church, and of course for any life, any Christian. How uh, so many uh, things we can apply from these uh, churches, but I pray you help us all to uh, take these to heart. Realize that uh, opportunities only come from you, and you're not looking for greatness, but you're looking for people who have humility, who keep your word the priority, and uh, for those who uh, don't deny your name, don't conform to this world, and, and help us all not to be like the Church of Laodicea, thinking we can handle things on our own, because uh, truly without you, we can do nothing. And help us to rely on you, to abide in you, and uh, to let your word abide in us, that we might be able to produce fruit for you and uh, see an impact in this community and in our world. We sure do love you. Uh, give us a good rest of the week. Give everybody safety as they travel for Thanksgiving. Uh, they have great times together with family. And uh, thank you so much uh, for the country and the freedom and the wealth we have here uh, that we get to enjoy so much. And help us to uh, spend some extra time these next few days uh, reminiscing on the goodness that you have brought to us and uh, thanking you and uh, thanking each other uh, for all the blessings that you have bestowed upon us here in America. And thank you for your goodness. And I pray you be with us. Keep us safe. I'll bring us all back this weekend on Sunday. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Any announcements?